Welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays. I'm your host, Katie Elman. Sustainable Business Fridays is the first podcast of its kind, bringing together students in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, not-for-profits, social entrepreneurship, and more. Twice monthly, these conversations go live via iTunes and Google Play. This week, I'm joined by first-year Bard MBA student Alexander Likens. And we're speaking with Alan Savory, founder and president of the Savory Institute. Um, so, Alan, uh, for some of our listeners, uh, holistic management might be a new concept for them. Could you just give a brief overview of it? Uh, okay, it's that's a common question. It's an easy way, really, for anyone to manage their life their business or any management situation more successfully. Management in any situation, uh, if you think about it, from our homes to government policies, and obviously throughout agriculture, always involves a web of social, environmental, and economic complexity. Uh, even managing feeding your family living in a city, that's, that involves co- that complexity. What holistic management is, uh, is a framework, and it works by first having determining what the situation is we're managing, a household or a farm, a ranch, a national park, and whatever it is, government, whatever. And we get the people who make the management decisions together, and they form or develop one overarching holistic context. And that guides all management actions from then on. And it guides our management actions as we go about, as we have to, meeting our needs, desires, etc., or dealing with problems. Now, that's the really new idea in this, is this holistic context. Uh, one single context for our lives, and it expresses how we want our lives to be based on what we value most in life. And then we tie that to our behavior that is essential to live that life and and we tie it to our life-supporting environment. So it's a completely new concept that wasn't previously in, in, in any branch of science, philosophy, or in any religion, in fact. Now, when we use this framework, it works amazingly well, and it avoids experiencing unintended consequences to our actions. So that's a summary of what it is, uh, very much a summary. Oh, yeah, um, that's, that's fantastic. And um, uh, I guess, um, what, what would one piece of advice uh, that uh, would you give to someone who plans to make the switch from a reductionist framework of management to a holistic manage, uh, framework of management? Well, my first advice is just learn what it is, learn about it, learn to practice holistic management before you try it. Um, Now, that anybody can learn easily by reading the new edition of the textbook, Holistic Management, A Common Sense Revolution to Restore Our Environment, or you can obtain information from the Savory Institute through their website or, or their hubs around the world, depending on where people are. And when you go to them, it even includes self-teaching materials and 
and more, and they'll try and connect you to the nearest hub if need be. So it just needs a commitment to want a better future, which this really does offer hope for, and uh, getting involved and finding out more about it. Okay, fantastic. Um, so is there, uh, in, in our MBA, often um, one of our professors, who I'm sure you're uh, very familiar with, Hunter Lovins, always asks us what oh, yeah. the business case is for something. Um, is, is there a business case for holistic management? And if there is, um, how can the next generation of young entrepreneurs apply holistic management to uh, business and contribute um, to the closed-loop regenerative society? Well, first let me say, yes, there is a, a, a case for it in business because business is management, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. So the case for holistic management is 100% need for it. Um, now, when we think of any businesses, we're trying to improve our lives. And uh, ultimately, uh, the only wealth that can sustain any community or nation uh, is actually derived from green growing plants on regenerating soil. Now, if you think about the business community in, say, America, and uh, here we see that almost everything uh, is under corporate control funding, uh, whatever you, you like, politics, policy, and certainly agriculture, that in the end, every single business depends upon. You can't have a choir, you can't have a church, you can't have an army, you can't have a political party, you can't have any business without agriculture. And tragically, American uh, business, corporate agriculture, financing, etc., is not grasping or showing any recognition of that fundamental scientific truth. It does begin to come out the moment they begin to manage holistically, because you have to have that holistic context tying your actions to your life-supporting environment. So as a consequence of today's uh, mainstream business, and particularly in agriculture, uh, is that agriculture is the most extractive and destructive industry ever in the history of mankind. Now, that's really not going to change until the public is better informed and the public begins to insist that management uh, be holistic and no longer reductionist. And uh, when you ask about how can a next generation of young entrepreneurs uh, practice holistic management, or use the framework in business, etc. cetera, uh, I'd be a little bit repeating myself. They can do this becoming involved. If they remain passive or apathetic, then really that amounts to taking sides and not being neutral. If you're passive or apathetic, uh, you are automatically supporting mainstream corporate agriculture policy control, Etc. And um, so, really, the big thing is to get involved and more knowledgeable uh, because a passive public, as I said, supports the current reductionist policy and nowhere more so than in agriculture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you um, so you mentioned agriculture a lot and how holistic management can be applied to land management. Um, uh, specifically, uh, I believe in your TED talk, you talk about how it can reverse the effects of desertification. 
Um, one of the most at-risk areas for desertification is uh, the Sahel region that runs through North Africa. Um, many of uh, the, the cattle, the, the um, people who own cattle in this region are nomadic pastoralists. Um, that being said, can holistic management be taught in a way that would be culturally relevant to these nomadic pastoralists and bring them in as stakeholders? Yeah, a, a lot of those uh, where you're mentioning that most problematic area in the world right across North Africa and, in fact, up into China, across Pakistan to, to India, um, a lot of them uh, don't run cattle because the land's so bad now uh, they can't. They run sheep and goats, but it doesn't matter. It's the same thing, any any livestock. And in answer to your question, yes, it's entirely teachable, and this is already being done. In, in particular, the Africa Center for Holistic Management, one of our first hubs, has spent years developing simple training materials. They're so simplified that it can be taught with pictures entirely for illiterate people. And uh, we just train the, the, the few of them to do it and teach the others or it can be translated into any language very quickly. Now, this is already happening in holistic management hubs in Africa, and already there are pastoralists from that troubled horn of Africa, part of which you mentioned, that mm -hmm. state openly that nothing but holistic management can save their cultures. They realize it's all about saving their culture, not just the land or their livestock. and. Uh, so the problem doesn't actually lie with the pastoralists. They're ready to go. Uh, the problem lies with governments, major environmental organizations, and international agencies. All of these are forcing reductionist policies on people and policies that are not even based on good science or understanding of desertification. Now, I know you've looked at it, and some of this I made clear in my TED talk on desertification where I said we once thought the world was flat, we were wrong then, and we're wrong again. And I point out how um, all this blaming of livestock, is they're just a resource. No resource can cause you problems. Uh, and we had the bull by the udder, uh, frankly. Um, you know, only livestock, not any technology imaginable, can reverse uh, man-made desertification. So we need to get that into our institutions uh, because they're blocking the way. Mm -hmm. um, well, actually going into that point, um, it, as, you, as you mentioned earlier, uh, there have been many successes uh, showing the efficacy of holistic management, uh, especially down uh, in uh, Zimbabwe with Operation Hope. Um, but as you stated, uh, some, of, some institutions still remain unconvinced. Uh, what is one thing that you'd like to, to say to those who are still unconvinced to try and uh, bring them into uh, utilizing the framework of holistic management? Well, to understand what's uh, going on, uh, I had to, to study system science and how organizations or institutions are uh, complex soft systems and they have what are called wicked problems. One of those is that our organizations always reflect the public opinion in the societies that they're formed in. They're very efficient at doing what they're formed to do, but they have uh, w one of the wicked problems they have is they are incapable, even if they want to change. They cannot change and accept new scientific insights, such as we're talking about, 
ahead of the public. So the public opinion has to change first. And it doesn't matter how much data, uh, facts, figures, evidence, how many people are dying, nothing matters. It doesn't matter how serious the situation, institutions do not change until public opinion begins to shift. So that's been a big part of the problem in the last 50 years that one I and many others didn't understand. So I, what we need to do is just follow the science. Now, skepticism is healthy. I couldn't have developed holistic management without a heavy dose of skepticism myself. But most of now 50 years of delay in general acceptance, institutional acceptance, uh, and the public has been caused by influential academics who state firmly that holistic management is not scientific. Holistic management is 100% based on good, sound, long-established scientific principles that no scientist has ever disputed. What holistic management does not have is academic approval from narrowly trained range management experts who simply cannot see the difference between something supported by science, management that's supported by science, and their disapproval of something they do not understand, essentially the holistic management that they've never even studied. So unfortunately and tragically, with millions of people suffering and dying, even as we're speaking now, and the terrible violence across that vast region we were talking about, across Africa up into China, and the mass immigration that's changing the political face of Europe and America, no one will ever hold such academics to account. Yeah, that's, um, that's yeah, that's very unfortunate. Um, how, I, I guess, in your opinion, how um, can, can these academics' opinion be swayed? Um, and if so, how, how would one go about doing that? Well, yes, they can be swayed, and many are being swayed, but not enough yet for the institutions. So where the fight was with me, uh, all universities, environmental organizations, employing senior scientists, etc., cetera, uh, experts, the fight was, has been with me for many, many years, ridiculing and so on. Now the fight is shifting within the institutions, and those arguments are going in within them. And the first of them are beginning to change. And they're participating and collaborating in our holistic management hub movement. And we, in fact, even have the first American-led, uh, university-led hub. And that's in Michigan State. So the change is coming about. We simply need to accelerate it. And when we talk of these institutions, remember, it's all organizations. I cannot find a single case of any organization in history adopting new counterintuitive scientific insights ahead of the public. So when we look at these organizations, remember it also includes cattlemen's organizations. There's not a single cattlemen's organization in America that supports me and has done so yet because not enough ranchers have yet changed their opinions. All right. Well, I mean, I guess it uh, gives some shred of hope that it's entered into the world of academics and started uh, the conversation there. Uh, so that's 
I guess that's good to hear, but definitely need some acceleration. Um, so uh, remember, remember also there, if I could interject, that yeah, of hundreds course. of yeah, hundreds of academics have helped me over the years, but they had to mm -hmm. do it in their individual capacities. So did people in the major environmental organizations that have all opposed me so strongly. But while that was going on, individuals within them were helping me. Mm -hmm. So you just need uh, more people to take up, um, well, I guess, understand the science and take up um, a healthy dose of uh, skepticism against the way that we've already been doing things. Mm -hmm. um, so in your uh, in your research, you you discuss how this regenerates the grasslands and thus uh, sequesters carbon. Um, is there? Do you have any idea of um, how much uh, carbon is sequestered? Has there been research that has been um, done on that? Yeah, I haven't done any research on that, and uh, I've just simply applied the, the science that we have, and I have no idea, nor does any person in the world, uh, how much carbon can be sequestered when we uh, manage holistically. What I do know for certain is that we do have to sequester an enormous amount and that can only safely be done in the world's soils. It cannot be done through trees, oceans, etc. And that needs a long explanation. The safe place is in the world's soils. And when we look at mainstream agriculture that I was talking about a moment earlier and desertification, these are destroying currently way more than 75 billion tons of soil every year. That's a published figure, and it's way too conservative because it's mostly the croplands. Uh, that amount of soil destruction, if you work it out, is actually 20 times more dead and eroding soil being produced every year as food we require to feed every human alive today. It's the most shocking statistic, I think, in the world. Now. Um, and that this um, needed storage of carbon and also water uh, in those soils can only be done using livestock with holistic planned grazing or better if somebody can develop it and reversing man-made desertification. And also by incorporating that livestock with crop production as some uh, extremely successful farmers are already doing and showing. I know a lot of people, uh, particularly uh, academics or scientists, don't like me using the word only. They always uh, say, no, there's never only one option. Well, if there's another option, some scientist needs to come forward because no, no scientist has in the last 50 years. And I've been saying this in, in many ways. Uh, we are a tool-using animal. We have got limited tools, technology, fire. Um, resting the land or conservation and using living organisms. So we've only got four tools. And mm -hmm. of those, we just have to go to livestock to solve this because no amount of planting grasses, trees, shrubs, reverses desertification, uh, resting the land causes desertification, uh, as we see in even national parks now where some of the worst loss of biodiversity is occurring. And no technology, even imaginable in science fiction, could ever solve this essentially biological problem. Now, so while we face that, 
and uh, talk about how much carbon can be sequestered, it worries me because the one luxury younger people do not enjoy is time. And every day that we waste debating how much carbon can be stored endangers future generations. It's an academic point because even in the world, if the world's soils could absorb not one molecule of carbon, scientists would still have no option but to use livestock and properly managed to reverse desertification, and which is playing such a major role in climate change and to deal with all the symptoms of desertification, increasing droughts and floods, social breakdown, destruction of US Western ranching culture, for example, emigration, violence, and war. There is nothing that will address that except livestock, whether or not you're storing carbon. Yeah, I mean, uh, as you as you stated, it, it, it's definitely a herring uh, statistic and a large challenge against us, um, but it seems like holistic management does offer a great opportunity. And uh, if we can sway public opinion, it certainly could um, uh, alleviate all of these uh, environmental, social, and economic ills that we're facing. Alex, um, Alex, if I could intervene there, we really need people to get active and start looking at the science. Young people, students, young people who aren't embedded in and their egos aren't tied up in the present. Many years ago, I, I met in the field with a, a very respected American scientist. He'd worked in Africa a lot. I hadn't known him, but I knew of him. And he made a strange statement to me. He said, Alan, you are either wrong, and we will not be able to dig a hole deep enough to bury you in. He said, or you're right, and we will not be able to build a monument high enough. And I said, I don't give a damn what you do with me. It's not about me. What do you think? And he said, I'm sitting on the fence. We've had people sitting on the fence for too many damn years. We're running out of time. Either they need to come up with a science and show where I'm wrong, or we need to get moving. I agree entirely. And um, that kind of leads into my next question, actually. Um, uh, through the Saber Institute, you were mentioning the hubs uh, that are uh, helping to spread holistic management, the holistic management framework uh, across a global network. Um, and I believe there's hubs in every continent uh, at this point. Um, where I, I guess you've been you've been stating this multiple times, but um, what what does the future look like for holistic management? And um, I guess, how can we take it there as a younger generation? I, I believe you've probably already answered this question. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of it, I have. Uh, I would equate the future of holistic management with the future of mankind. I literally would do that now. Um, and so while we are undoubtedly with the global hub movement, uh, we're making progress. And that's drawing in ever-increasing collaborators, individuals right across all walks of life and organizations beginning to collaborate uh, uh, now with us and with each other, right across the regenerative agriculture movement, the health and the food movements, which I think are going to be unstoppable. But this is still incremental advance. Uh, mostly we're preaching to the choir still, and young people are way too apathetic 
and they're not participating at anything like the level they have to do if they're serious about the future. And if we do not get more public awareness, particularly among young people, and begin to demand that management and policy be holistic, uh, so that, for example, US agricultural policy and, and that of all other countries changes, then the future is very bleak indeed. But as fast as policy is developed holistically, I think we'll see great hope uh, for future generations. And I, I'm again stressing agriculture because climate change is not being caused by uh, fossil fuels alone, as almost everybody is, is treating it. That's about a third of the problem. About two thirds of the problem is the major impact of agriculture, like we've been talking about, to climate change. And then there's the need to remove the carbon we talked about. And that is, the, let's say, two thirds of the problem. And there's just amazing, uh, I don't know what to call it, apathy around that and, and lack of discussion. Now, when, when I talk of, of the need for policies in, in things like this, again, let me come back to the problem, the most problematic area that we talked of earlier. Uh, recently, we all saw the United Nations' most recent sustainable development goals. In other words, policies that they intend to pursue. Now, I've looked at all 17 of those. One or two are to deal with cultural uh, problems. The majority, by far, are to deal with symptoms of desertification. And once more, thousands of good people working in institutions have deliberated for years, 10 years nearly, on that since the last ones. And they've reduced that complexity to a series of problems to fix. They've come out with these sustainable development goals. And I will guarantee you and all young people right now, and I would stake my life on it, you're going to see failures and unintended consequences. And in a much worse situation, about 10 years from now, we'll redo it all and they'll come up with more sustainable development goals, just as we did in Rio, in Johannesburg, and all these uh, big events uh, about every 10 years. Yeah, I, I, I mean, if it's not well thought through, um, it generally goes... Uh... Uh, happen that way, I suppose. Um, I, I guess, in your opinion, um, what is the biggest challenge facing the next generation of young people who decide not to be apathetic and decide to um, take on this task and enter the field of uh, regenerative development? Um, what, what What is one of their biggest challenges, and uh, I guess what what is your what would be your advice to them? Uh, this is not a light answer because I've thought about this a great deal, and I've spent many years training hundreds, literally thousands of people in holistic management, policy development, etc. What matters most for any young people coming into this is to uh, try to focus on what matters. Now, that's a simple statement, but humans generally find this extremely difficult to do. We get sidetracked onto many issues. Uh, let me give some examples. For example, people get into endless discussion and argument about how to achieve desired results. And all of uh, us are proposing various actions. They're management actions. 
and we get into arguing about the validity of our solution. And it can be in agriculture, or it can be in such things as saving rhino or elephant, for example. And we find many organizations vying for validity of their solution and competing for funds while our ship is, is sinking. Now, almost anything any of us suggest is like me saying, I'm going to light a fire. It needs a context. And in every one of us, when we're making those suggestions, the context is the problem. It's a reductionist. So we need to start focusing on not getting into those arguments in reductionist management, but focusing on the need to manage holistically. All right? So as time goes by, we're arguing our case in a society in which management and policy is reductionist. So what young people need to need, understand is what we all need to do is focus on one thing that nobody can argue. No sane person, no scientist in the world. And that is that management and policy should be holistic. Now we can use the holistic framework or hopefully something better if somebody can develop something better. And we use that with the most up-to-date science as it does. Now, when we do this, one of the strongest features of the holistic framework is that it resolves or prevents most conflicts over our different actions uh, because we don't have a context. And once we develop that holistic context in each case, we have a context and we don't move beyond that to considering any action until we have that context. And when people in any management situation um, are developing that holistic context, it requires total agreement with absolutely no compromise. We just keep on until we've got that total agreement on how we want our lives to be based on our life supporting environment. And that is actually not at all difficult to achieve. I've worked with incredibly mixed uh, groups in Pakistan and places like that with Muslims and Hindus and Christians and untouchables and goodness knows what. And we come to total agreement with almost no trouble in any village or anything like that. So this is because most humans are good at heart and most humans desire the same better lives. So. That's what I would urge young people to do, not get into endless discussions about actions without focusing on what matters. Get the management to be holistic, and then the best ideas float to the top, and we can see what we need to do. That, that's great advice, and it's, it's very hopeful to know that um, it's not an, an incredibly difficult task to achieve. Um, do you believe, I guess, uh, to end on uh, a hopeful note, um, well, maybe not end, we'll see. Uh, do, you believe, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, do you believe we will ever uh, truly accomplish a regenerative society? Wow. I have to keep believing that and working on that, as I've already done for many years, seeking that ideal. I love the word regenerative because organic, sustainable, etc are to me meaningless cliches and nothing we do in, in those fields is going to be uh, sustainable as long as management is reductionist. 
as the failure of many civilizations should have taught of us. Let, let me illustrate that. Uh, for example, uh, I and, and many people agree 100% that all crops should be organically grown and 100% on livestock should be grass-fed. And uh, although I support those 100%, I uh, often ask people to think deeper because past civilizations that failed, and there were many in all regions of the world, had nothing but 100% organic and grass-fed, and they failed because their mm -hmm. management was reductionist. So we've got to go deeper than that if we're going to see this regenerative society. And I always like to credit Robert Rodale because I first heard him coin this term when we were working together uh, many years ago. And he talked of the need to regenerate not only agriculture, but our communities and our economies. We've got to regenerate all of that. Um, so I, I hope for future generations that this can be accomplished. I think the holistic management uh, framework has a vital role to play in that. And uh, that's my hope for team humanity, that young people will get involved and get moving. I definitely uh, share that hope with you as well. Um, are there any uh, last uh, comments or um, statements that you'd like to make? Uh, just to thank you very much, because the leaders in society in shifting public opinion, as we need to do, uh, are not people like myself or any of the others and the people I've worked with who develop uh, new ideas. The leaders in society are the poets, the artists, the freelance writers, the filmmakers, and the people who put out um, programs like you're doing that get the knowledge into society. So I just want to thank you for the leadership you're showing. Well, yeah, it's incredibly generous of you to share your time with us, Alan. I found it especially interesting, your point toward the end about you know, the issues of organic and sustainability or the term sustainable and how they're, they're almost cliche now and they're overused and they've lost some of their meaning. And this is something we even discuss in our courses. Um, how do we keep the dialogue going and keep the work relevant but when it's becoming um, watered down? So I would wonder, and I appreciate your point about the artists uh, as, you know, being people that lead change. Um, where can someone listening to this or reading the blog post go to learn more about your work, how to get involved, how to educate themselves about um, your work and possibly taking um, charge and trying to create change in their communities? Well, the, the, they can go to um, the, the website of Savory Institute and that's just savory.global uh, and find many things there. And that'll keep constantly improving. They can link with the, the uh, hubs through that. Uh, they can get self-turning materials. They can become champions and go through a training actually to be champions so that they can promote the work knowledgeably uh, in, in their community or wherever they are. So there's that. Uh, they can also, I, I put a bit on my public figure Facebook page, and, and that's uh, uh, just www.facebook.com slash holistic solutions slash. And uh, I put stuff there and also on my blog to 
all of it aim really at trying to help younger people. So they, they're, they're those they can go to. Um, can't think of others offhand, but uh, the the textbook, new textbook, has just come out, and it's shorter and clearer. Uh, and I hope um, it'll it'll be used widely to help people. Uh, that's that's available from the Savory Institute or from Amazon. Um, well, thank yeah, you guys. Thank you very much, Alan. And I'm I'm definitely going to be uh, visiting the Savory Institute later and looking at how to become a a champion of holistic management. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hope we meet one day. Bard MBA in Sustainability. Lead the change. Learn more at bard.edu.